It's time now for the Jack Michael Show on 740 The Fan and 740TheFan.com. To phone in, call 237-3767, 1-888-458-6926, or you can text short code to 12. Good afternoon. It is the Friday version of the Jack Michaels Show on 740 The Fan, 107.3 FM and 740TheFan.com. We'll hear from Jack sometime here in the uh, noon hour. Other than that, we have a uh, fairly busy show for uh, for a Friday as we are. Are you in 4th of July holiday mode already? Um, I always kind of wonder with the 4th of July if it's not kind of close to a weekend we've been lucky the last few years it's been on a friday or it's been on a weekend you can kind of sit, maybe set your uh, set your weekend or your time off accordingly and uh but when it gets to be like on a tuesday or a wednesday how do you do that do you maybe take this week off or maybe the end of this week off and, and into next week if you you know if you're able to do so you go say you know what i'm just going to take next week off do i go after the fourth yeah, i'm gonna take the fourth and i'm gonna take the rest of the week off Decisions to make, right? Just to, I just kind of wondered about that. And of course, next year as well. Let's see, we'll be leap year next year, so it'll land on a uh, on a Thursday. So busy shows. We will visit with Corey Provis, radio voice of the Minnesota Twins. As uh, we'll see what happens, the uh, Twins getting called out by their manager after getting swept by Atlanta. And one of the things we'll talk with with Corey is just the the gap, and we've seen that. A couple of times with Minnesota now in the month of uh, in the month of June, and it was a subpar month of June for Minnesota. I think I saw a stat. I think it was Aaron Aaron Gleeman had it. The Twins are seven or eight under five hundred since May first. Remember they got into a real good start in April, and they have really just played inconsistent at times, mediocre baseball. And we'll uh, we'll see what uh, see what Corey's thoughts are on that coming up later in the program. Ron Counts from the Idaho Statesman. We talked a little bit about the. Um, a little bit about his article, which uh, came out early in the week. He uh, covers Boise State, and uh, with more college conference shakeup, looks like uh, San Diego State's going to be leaving the Mountain West Conference. And you would think the Pac-12 is probably going to be their uh, their eventual and final destination. Uh, we will see about that, but uh, we'll visit with him. And he believes NDSU would be a perfect fit for the Mountain West Conference. Would it be? We'll see if it's football only. Or maybe all together, but we'll get his uh, his thoughts. And he does have uh, some experience. He is a uh, uh, James Madison grad, so he's very familiar with FCS football. And we'll uh, visit with Ron Counts coming up here, and around twelve twenty or so here on seven forty, the fan on the Jack Michael Show. Reminder: We will be at Star Fireworks Monday. If you haven't gotten your fireworks yet? You can do so. In fact, we've got some uh, got some goodies to give away. I've got uh, ten dollar gift cards to uh, Star Fireworks, and we'll throw some other things. We might throw some Red Hawks tickets, maybe some Buffalo River Race Park passes. Uh, we'll include those in there as well. If you want to text STAR with two R's, S-T-A-R-R, to 35270, you do that here in the next hour or so, we'll pick some winners, but we'll get you a $10 gift card to Star Fireworks. And you can also um, we'll throw in some other goodies as well. So STAR with two R's to 35270, and we'll get you in the drawing and uh, we'll let you know via text um, uh, who will who the winners will be coming up here uh, later this afternoon. Now, some notes around the uh, around the world of sports: the um, NHL draft finishing up yesterday, and some uh, some good local ties with the Minnesota Wild. They uh, drafted six players, a couple of players um, with uh, USHL experience. Aaron Pionk for one, three Minnesotans, of course, the first round draft pick. Um, for the Minnesota Wild as well. But uh, uh, Cole Knubel, who spent the last couple of years here in Fargo uh, with the Fargo Force, was a fourth-round pick. He was chosen yesterday by the Philadelphia Flyers. Ironically enough, his dad, Mike, played for the uh, Flyers a couple of different stints, 2005 to 2009 and 2012 
2013. Ty Hendricks, who also spent some time with the Force before he was traded to uh, Muskegon, sixth-round pick out of the uh, out of the New York uh, Rangers or by the New York Rangers yesterday. He's going to play collegiately at Western Michigan, and a couple of players with Warroad, Minnesota ties were picked in the fourth round, just a few uh, spots ahead of one another. Jason Shockabay was uh, fourth-round pick. The Tampa Bay Lightning. He is committed to Minnesota Duluth and Hampton Slukinski. His brother Grant Slukinski played in the USHL with the Force and also with Sioux City. Uh, he was uh, picked by the LA Kings goaltender who was committed to Northern Michigan, and uh, he is expected to be part of uh, the Fargo Force next year uh, coming up as well. So I always, I always fun, I think, for hockey fans to check out the uh, the NHL draft. Uh, Minnesota picking six players. Charlie Stremel, of course, was the uh, first round pick, but. Uh, uh, picked Riley Height. Um, he uh, played in the Western Juniors. Aaron Peock has some experience in the USHL. He's a native of Hermantown, Minnesota. And uh, Jimmy Clark, and he died a native, also played in the USHL with Green Bay. It was a seventh-round pick. And now it moves ahead to the to free agency, and we'll see what the, what kind of moves the Wild will do. And Bill Guerin, um, hearing some comments from him yesterday on whether or not they'll uh, – whether or not they'll, they probably won't make any real big splashes. I don't know if they really can just because of the cap. Um, uh, they're still, again, very much cap uh, salary cap strapped in uh, in some ways as well. Fargo Moorhead Redhawks, a tough night last night as they'll have game four of their series with the Cleveland Railroaders. Jack Michaels will have the call for you on uh, 740 The Fan, 107.3 FM. Um, that'll be coming up uh, tonight, pregame 645, about 7.06 on the first pitch as they roughed up last night uh, in Cleburne, Texas, as the Hawks now a game back of uh, Kansas City at the top of the West Division of the American Association. As uh, they lose last night, 13-7 to was the final there. So we'll see how the uh, how the Hawks go uh, tonight. Game four, Correll Prime set to go, but the uh, Railroaders 17 hits last night as they had six different players that had multiple hits. Sam Dexter homered, or actually three hits last night, and they get homers from Dick Nomack and Manny Boscan as the Red Hawks fall by a score of 13 to 7. 237 3767. If you'd like to chime into the program, 1 458 6926. We're kind of getting to, we're about the halfway point of the year, just the year in general, 2023. And any highlights to this point for you? And these some things you're maybe looking for is once we kind of get to the other side of uh, any side of the 4th of July. Well, we're about a month away. We'll have training camps in the NFL getting going at the end of July. You have, um, um, as we mentioned, training camps. Uh, college camps will get underway late July into early August. We're less than two months away from uh, from football, and I'm sure that's uh, piqued the interest of a lot of people um, here as well. 12.08 here on the program. If you'd like to chime in, you certainly can. 237-3767. We're in the Gunderson Studios. OMG, oh my Gunderson's locations. Uh, in West Fargo and downtown and Gundersons.com. Let's get to uh, some comments here as we will um, have a chance to visit with Ron Counts of the uh, Idaho Statesman as uh, uh, Ron, basically his main beat is Boise State, but he follows the Mountain West Conference uh, very closely. And uh, it's some interesting, I say, if you've not read the article, go to the IdahoStatesman.com, IdahoStatesman.com. And his thoughts that NDSU would be a... Uh, Real good fit for the uh, for the Mountain West Conference. Let's hear some comments here from Ron. Well, a lot of conference movement in uh, college athletics and uh, and certainly uh, schools around here, kind of keeping their eyes open to see what the what the future holds. And uh, uh, Ron Counts joins us from the Idaho Statesman. He follows Boise State and the uh, Mountain West Conference. And uh, well, first off, with uh, San Diego State looking looking like they are headed uh, out of the Mountain West, that may open things up and. Uh, uh, you definitely uh, got some attention in these parts here, thinking that um, uh, if there's an opening, it should be North Dakota State. And I'll I'll leave the floor to you and uh, on your reasons why. Well, first of all, I'm a big fan of the Bison. Uh, I'll just get this out of the way. I am an alum of James Madison University, so you guys are in a way kind of talking, playing with the enemy here <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but no, uh, this program, it, it, the North Dakota State feels like a program that should have been in the Mountain West 10 years ago. And there's just so many reasons. Let's start with the obvious ones. Football success. This is the most dominant FCS program in the history of, of, of the FCS. 
nine national championships in 11 years. They just they win all the time. They've produced 10 NFL draft picks since 2014, two top three picks. I mean, that's something a lot of group of five schools can't lay claim to. So that program alone is just is just so competitive. You know, they're financially are, are they a cash cow? No, that they brought in about you know 28, 29 million in revenue last year. That's below many of the Mountain West schools, but it's not that far off. I mean, the 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 the, the uh, San Jose State produced the least amount of revenue in the boys in the Mountain West last year at 39 million. So, so you're really only talking about a 10 or 11 million difference in, in college athletics terms. That's not that much money. So, so they can make up that ground very, very easily. Uh, and then you know, you look at the investments they've made in the athletics. There, North Dakota State has invested 110 million dollars in facilities over the last 10 years. That shows that they are serious about about competing. They're serious about, about providing the best for their athletes, and that's all going to result in wins. I mean, you know, they, they check so many boxes when it comes to conference realignment. You know, we talked about the money. We talked about, about the success. You know, their brand is just so strong. I mean, you know, recruiting-wise, they recruit from all over the country. Their fans travel like none other. I mean, I just – I think I can go on and on and on with these obvious, these obvious, obvious reasons, but I not only believe these reasons, I – Experienced it, so I covered the FCS national championship game two years in a row. Mm -hmm. In 2016, it was JMU versus Youngstown State. In 17, it was JMU versus North Dakota State. In 16, the stadium in Frisco was full, but it was nowhere near packed. In 17, when when North Dakota State was in Frisco, Toyota Stadium was absolutely packed. There was green and gold everywhere. There was a line of RVs as long as the eye could see outside the stadium. It, It just those fans travel like none other, and that matters. That makes a big, big, big deal. Uh, so, I mean, there's so many obvious reasons. But here, here's a reason that's maybe a little less obvious, and one that's maybe the most intriguing reason to me. Boise State and North Dakota State are basically the same program, in my opinion. The parallels in their journeys in college football are just amazing. I mentioned it before. You have the most dominant FCS program in history. In Boise State, you have the most dominant group of five program in, in, in college football history. You know, 26 straight years, they've been bowl eligible. They played more of the first uh, New Year's Six bowl games. They just Their winning percentage is, is among the best in, in college football. They just they know how to win. But just like, just like North Dakota State, the big boys, the Power Five conferences are not rushing to invite them. They're not rushing to put them on the schedule. They'll claim it's because of geography and this and that, but that's not the whole truth. The real truth is they don't want to spend the money to travel to Fargo or to, Bo- or to Boise and potentially lose that game. You know, these programs have respect around the country. They have fans all over the country. They just need someone to give them a chance. And am I crazy to think that North Dakota State comes into the Mountain West and immediately develops an awesome rivalry with Boise State. I mean, this is two blue-collar programs, two hard-hitting, successful programs that, that are just gonna—they're gonna be amazing rivals. Uh, just think about that first; those first games they play. North Dakota State on the blue, easy TV sell. Boise State in the Fargo Dome—that's maybe the most watched Mountain West game of the year. So I, I just think there's so many reasons. I haven't even mentioned the, the, the yeah. positioning for, for the CFP expansion. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is, in, in this new era of college football, you've got to position yourself so that your conference champion gets is one of those six highest-ranked uh, conference champions. So they get the automatic CFP bid. North Dakota State coming to the Mountain West does that. You know, you're losing a power at San Diego State. You add a football power back to it, you're just, you're just keeping the football conference that much stronger, and that's going to be more revenue down the, in, in the long run. I, I just – there's so many reasons to do it. You know, they just need someone to give them a chance. Yeah, I think Wyoming, obviously, there's some connection there with uh, Craig Bull and uh, some guys and that staff that uh, were at NDSU at uh, at a time. Um, I, I, I You kind of stole my thunder a little bit about uh, Boise State. I think they're kind of where Boise State was maybe mid-2000s or so, um, you know, looking to, to make that run. You know, for your program at Boise State, how uh, how long is the Mountain West, you know, realistic? Realistic. I know they've looked to maybe move and uh, have their eyes maybe elsewhere as well. Um, are they going to be lying for the Mountain West, or are they kind of waiting to see how the rest of college football and college athletics uh, uh, moves along here over, over time? Well, a, a lot like North Dakota State. I mean, if, if Boise State gets a Power 5 uh, off invite, they're going. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's almost no question. Now, I say that, but the caveat there is, the CFP expansion makes it a little bit of a question. 
Because right now, Boise State is positioned that to be the favorite to get that CF, one of those CFP bids every single year. I mean, you know, without San Diego State, they're, they're not going to have a year-to-year competitor in the Mountain West for, for the title. And you look at the rest of the group of five, SMU is potentially leaving, Stancy's gone, UCF is gone, Houston's gone. Excuse me. So you're looking at Boise State and Memphis as the top two teams in the group of five competing for that CFP bid every year. So they do have to weigh that, whether, you know, it means more to them to get the CFP bid or the enhanced revenue. But the thing is that that revenue piece in the Power Five is just amazing. I mean, it's, you know, you, you look at the, at the Pac-12 and their, their per-team distributions are, are, are 20 plus million a year. It's just, you know, it, it's, it, it's amazing the, the amount of money difference there. So that'd be hard to turn down for either of those programs. Would a football-only uh, possibility for, let's say, the Mountain West for NDSU, is that feasible or would they have to be all in for everything? No, I, I think that's one of the reasons that the, that North Dakota State could be um, a, a good fit for the Mountain West. The Mountain West already has a football-only member in Hawaii, so, so there's already a precedent there. And the Mountain West also has a new commissioner in Galora and Navarez who's used to cutting sweetheart deals. She, she came from the West Coast Conference where Gonzaga gets a much bigger piece of the pie than all the other teams there. She's now in, in the Mountain West where Boise State gets a bigger piece of the TV revenue pie than all the other teams. So this is the pro, this is the conference that's used to making deals that that's used to kind of making things work. So I I think football only is, is a possibility. Um, you know I, I think maybe that's even the most realistic possibility there. Uh, so you know here's the thing in this whole 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 uh, conundrum for the Mountain West. There's no good option, and by that I mean there's no one team that's going to come in and replace what San Diego State brought to the table. You know this is a program that generates sixty million plus a year. They have they have a, they have a strong football brand. They have the conference's strongest basketball brand. I mean, uh, San Diego State's run to the national championship game last year earned the conference ten million dollars over the next six years. Um, so it's just you know they've got to find something. You know, San Diego State has that LA TV market that's tough to replace. So no one team is going to come in and replace it. So what the conference has to decide is okay, do we just stay pat at eleven and make things work? Do we try to add an FBS school like a UTEP, which, I, in my opinion, would be the only FBS school to have a, a realistic shot at? Uh, or do we try and give a, a, a shot to an FCS program? In my opinion, the Mountain West, the best thing the Mountain West could do is not worry about being the best G5 conference in the country, but worrying about being the best G5 football conference in the country. And again, you do that by adding North Dakota State. You look. Uh, I know in your uh, column you mentioned uh, maybe the Montana schools. I to me the feeling is you you can't take one. You got to take them both if that was going to be a possibility. And if they had any kind of interest, you know, NDSU and South Dakota State kind of walked into moving into Division One together. Does NDSU need a partner in this, or are they big enough for that brand to stand on their own? So that, that's a good question. There, I, I think if if North Dakota State comes in as a full member with all their sports. That it would be helpful to have a travel partner because it just it really helps for some of those right. Olympic non-revenue sports to be able to travel together and be able to set up home-and-home home series and things like that to cut down on travel costs. If they come in as a football-only member, you know, then, then there's really no reason that, that, that they couldn't just stick with one. Um, you know, the, the, the conferences have more options now because the, the NCAA is not requiring teams to have two divisions anymore, and so so, that, so they can kind of play with the numbers a little bit more and still have a championship game. I just uh, – I don't know. The, the, the truth there is I'm not sure. If they're a full member, I think they need a travel partner, but if they're football only, probably not. Okay, I just kind of wonder that too because I like at some of the other sports. I mean, the Summit League I think is probably a good fit for basketball, but I kind of wonder about. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, NDSU does have, they're in the Big 12 for wrestling. Um, Wyoming's another example of that as well. So um, have you gotten any f- feelers from maybe uh, from, from other schools in the Mountain West? Is it... Obviously, the geography thing is going to be a big thing. That's probably going to hold some schools back. But there are other schools that maybe share that sentiment about NDSU. You know, I, I haven't spoken to anyone particularly, but I, you know, I have to say, I mean, you've mentioned Wyoming a couple of times. Like again, I just think North Dakota State—they they fit the footprint, they fit the, the DNA of Mountain West teams. You know, you look at these blue-collar programs like Wyoming and Boise State and Utah State. I, I just think North Dakota State fits that bill. Um, they're not there revenue-wise, but that revenue will increase. Their revenue will improve um, as they as they move up in levels. So, yeah, whether or not other teams would would, would, would be open to that, I don't know. I, I can't say for sure, but I I think that that may, this is the the Mountain West best option, and I think North Dakota State is the best fit. 
would the TV money maybe help to fill that gap uh, revenue-wise? Absolutely. Absolutely it would. And the, the Mountain West uh, TV deal, oh, I'm going to let me get this number right. I want to say they're paying around $3 million a year per team. Um, again, Boise State gets an extra cut of that, so they're up closer to $6 million. Um, but, I mean, you know, an additional $3 million a year would, would, would definitely help there. Plus, you're also talking about the conference distributions, where which range anywhere from, uh, you know, two to four million a year. You got NCAA revenue coming in. That's you know, so you know, it, it, there's a lot of areas where revenue is going to pour in, and then that's going to improve that bottom line. Facility-wise, like you mentioned, with the indoor practice, practice facility and what they've done here at NDSU, facility-wise, uh, does the Fargo Dome match up to some? Obviously, a little bit smaller, but does it match up to some uh, some facilities within the Mountain West Conference? Uh, it, capacity-wise, it's, it's much smaller. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's probably about, you know, capacity-wise, it's probably about half of what most uh, Mountain West uh, conference uh, stadiums hold. But it's such a unique venue. And the good news there is the NCAA did away with its minimum seating requirement to move up. Um, it, it once upon a time, they required seat stadiums to seat 30,000 to move up to the FBS level. That, that's been done away with now. All programs have to do is average 15,000 in attendance over a two-year period, and North Dakota State very much does that. So so it's definitely a smaller venue, but I think it's so unique that I, I just think I think it, it could be a great TV sell. Like I said, I, I think, you know, North Dakota State versus Boise State is an easy sell. I think North Dakota State versus Fresno State, easy sell. Maybe not everyone else. Obviously, Wyoming would be an easy sell as well. I mean, so, I, I you know, Obviously, is North Dakota State, Hawaii going to be a great TV sell? No. But mm-hmm. Hawaii is not a great TV sell for anybody. New Mexico is not a great TV sell for anybody. So, I, you know, there's going to be positive and negatives there, but but I, I they, they definitely uh, meet that threshold of 15,000 average attendance. And your familiarity with FCS, with your being a JMU alum and, and covering uh, covering FCS as well, seeing the number of schools, the Georgia Southerns, the JMUs, the Coastal Carolinas that have gone up, and some have had you know good success already. Do you think NDSU is in a position they could kind of jump and make that move maybe quicker than some of those schools did? I think they can make it as quick. Uh, I'm, I'm going to brag on my Dukes here a little bit. You know, they, they went eight and three their first year in the Sun Belt last year. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for a, an out-of-date, archaic rule by the NCAA, they probably would have gone on to compete for the conference championship and win a bowl game. So I think North Dakota State can do it that quickly. I mean, to be honest with you, the way their football program is already situated, and given that when they move to the FBS level, they're going to get an additional 22 scholarship players, uh, you know, I think that they're, they're in position to come in and compete right away. Now, are, are they going to come in and, and go undefeated and win the conference title first year? Probably not. Probably not, and, and this NCAA rule won't even allow it. But I think they can come in and be, you know, top four, top five in the conference. Easy. I mean, they're going to beat the San Jose State and the, and the Hawaii's and the New Mexico's of the world. I mean, they're going to beat the UNLV's of the world. You know, Nevada's up and down. You know, so I, I just I think they can come in and easily be middle of the road in the Mountain West. Ron's really good conversation here. Ron counts of the Idaho Statesman. You can find his work at idahostatesman.com. Uh, good, uh, good conversation and uh, definitely some food for thought up here. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, some really uh, interesting stuff. If you haven't read the article, uh, just uh, go to the sports section at idahostatesman.com. Uh, some very good conversation. And he and, and we'll see again. It's uh, a lot of things that uh, have to happen uh, financially. You got to get an invite somewhere, whether it be the Mountain West or uh, maybe uh, somewhere else, but uh, I'm sure it's always changing in the landscape of college football and college athletics. Again, if you'd like to uh, text, we've got $10 gift cards to Star Fireworks. We'll throw in some other goodies as well. If you text STAR with two R's, S-T-A-R-R, two three five two seven zero. Jack, uh, I think Jack is uh, connected down in Cleburne, Texas. We'll visit with him here in just a few minutes. Corey Provis, just around the corner as well. We'll talk some Twins baseball and the Jack Michaels Show on the fan on a Friday, just ahead of a holiday after this. twelve twenty-eight. back at the Jack Michaels Show. Brad Anderson in studio. And we have uh, caught up with Jack Michaels. He is uh, in, uh, let's see, day, let's see, you got there Monday. So what, approaching day five of your Cleburne, Texas experience. 
Day five of the uh, you know, of the uh, of the excessive. I feel like in in uh, in vacation. Remember when uh, he drove the wagon queen family truckster off the cliff, and then he <laughs> says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna hike up the road a bit. There's got to be a gas station around here somewhere." And he's walking through with his pants over his head and hot. Yeah, no, it's not that bad actually. Uh, yeah, day five, Brad, but it's actually. Some of that excessive heat is is starting to move now, so you're actually getting into just a a nice big warm day in in, in Texas. But whoop, those last few days have been uh, liquid smoke hot, kind of uh, here down in Texas. And unfortunately, the last two days the Red Hawks have have uh, have fallen uh, against the Railroaders. So we'll see what happens tonight here in Game Four of this six-game series. Like 97 for the high today. It's not, uh, I'm assuming, not a dry heat down in Texas. There's a little humidity in there, too. <laughs> yeah, Robbie Lopez, the bullpen, I forgot to do this. We were going to get an egg from the pantry of the Liberty Hotel and see if we could literally fry the egg on the turf at uh, at, at the ballpark. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, yeah. yesterday was uh, just a 100-degree feels like, and I think now it's kind of this, uh, there's some, some type of front moving in that's going to push this off, but yeah, it's 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 been crazy, now uh, crazy down here. It's a uh, absolutely warm. I just caught your conversation with uh, with Ron Countryas. Yes. Yeah, good stuff. Good good conversation. Hey, you know, it's certainly something that you know that, that everybody is. We've speculated. There's been so much speculation, and there's a lot of wonder. And I wonder what. What it shows you is that it's it's not an easy decision that can be made, even though, you know, hearing Ron, I, I agree with, with everything that you and Ron were talking about it, as far as the, you know, competitive nature. Obviously, yeah, when you add some more, you know, 20-plus more scholarships, you know, from a competition level, you know, and, and even the stadium level, uh, despite it not being as large, uh, there's a minimum threshold that is met that uh, would be a, a unique situation for Mountain West, you know, and, and be an attractive thing. I mean, there's a lot of things over there, but, you know, still the questions out there about, as we brought up yesterday, you know, uh, full scale across the board, you know, is that the way to go? Would it be football only? You know, how is that going to work? And, you know, but yeah, it's, it's a, I, I loved his article. I love the conversation, and uh, I'm sure that it's it probably got a lot of people that heard that today spinning around their heads, too. Well, and I wonder, I, I think football only would be the best way to go, and I, at least from NDSU's perspective. I don't know, because I, I look at, if you're going to go to the Mountain West, it's uh, the example I think you can use is when NDSU or UND was in the big sky, just all the travel costs they had and, and how much how much they saved on travel just moving to the Summit League, becoming uh, you know partially a bus league instead of you know everywhere you went was a Mountain Time Zone or a Pacific Time Zone game. You know that covering games in the Big Sky and right. you know the the travel costs that go with that. That um, um, you know obviously there's going to be a financial jump that you're going to have to make scholarship wise, but I mean travel as well is going to be something um, that's going to have to be. Uh, Take it into consideration, especially if you're gonna if you're gonna go all in, no matter where you go, whether it's Mountain West or if you go AAC or where, wherever you would, uh, wherever your uh, potential next destination would be. Yeah, you nailed it. It it really is that, uh, Brad. Having done those years in, in Big Sky Conference and understanding, you know what the administration, you know what what it was all about, and and the dollars saved from from bus to plane i mean that you know let, let's it was great you know, big sky was a was a great conference as you know you know driving a flying to flagstaff and flying to sacramento mm-hmm. and flying to portland and flying to missoula and flying to bozeman and flying into into utah and you know all of those trips are good but that's a you look at the average price of a you know a charter flight to those uh places and and from the basketball standpoint, you know, uh, just the number of trips and all the other sports, if you are going to go across the board, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a big chunk of change. And if, just, if it would just be football only, uh, that is still revenue raised. So I don't know, but did you increase your ticket prices in Fargo? Does parking, you know, all that become more? Or are you, is the engine so big and rolling right now 
that uh, that that's no big whoop. Maybe you feel that the product is so good and the nuance of maybe being in a, a new conference like that or moving up to an FBS uh, is so big that, that people will be willing to add, uh, you know, to, to take that on. I don't know. Someone's got to someone would have to pay for the increased cost. I mean, you got to raise more or you got to obviously bring in more revenue. And, you know, you and Ron talked about, you know, TV contracts and things like that. And even if that money is there, it, it really still got, does come down, Brad, to the, the almighty dollars, as we said. And those decisions aren't easily made. They're sexy to think about. Oh, sure. You know, they're great to think, you know, they're great to think about and playing in a bowl game and maybe new rivalries and, and bringing in these, these FBS teams. That's all fun to think about. But I think you really peel away the layers of that onion. You got to really get down to the brass tacks of what it takes. Can we afford what has to be raised? You know, how positive is the moving for the sake of moving because you've dismantled everybody else in your division is one thing, but how viable is it? But, you know, we know the stories of the success or potential success now of teams, you know, that have done it in recent years that looks like it's going to be a great move, you know, but is it the right move for everybody? So we'll see. Yeah, it's a good conversation. Good, good, good yeah. listen today. Yeah, and he had done his homework, and uh, he has, I think he had done his homework on NDSU and uh, and that show, and obviously with his uh, – Experience covering uh, covering FCS. We'll visit with Corey Provis here in uh, in a moment. and be curious to hear Corey's comments on. Uh, it had to probably be said what Rocco Baldelli, you know, the the things that he said and probably what he said behind closed doors after Wednesday. And I just I, I kind of wondered because I mean, there were some other there kind of been some other potential watershed moments in this season for the Twins where they. Uh, uh, where maybe maybe they had you know closed door meeting and we just something we didn't know about. But I wonder why why now why this point? That'll be uh, that's one question I'm going to have for I, Corey. I, I I this was a funny. Uh, Dan Michaels asked me this this morning on KFGO and Doug Lear, and I had it's funny that that uh, Coaster and I, not that it, we had this talk like uh, I don't what was it the Red Hawks had dropped a couple of games and mm-hmm. I didn't bring it up because they had dropped a couple of games, but. I, that, it was a topic of conversation with Chris. I said, when do you know as a manager uh, when you close the door and, and bring the group in or when you don't? Or from a particular player, when do you close the door and have a one-on-one as or don't? And he referenced, you know, Eric Reg or, you know, in minor league or Charlie Manuel. And he said, oftentimes you, you don't want to do that. You know, sometimes it's best to not – uh, do anything, you know, and at least that's from his experience. Or sometimes he said, you know, maybe it was upon a leader of the team, you know, someone that was, uh, you know, Jimmy Rollins or Chase Utley back in the day or the Phillies that that would pick the right time to do it. He goes, but oftentimes if it's a player, it's those players that are leading by example that are putting numbers up. But he said, look, you know, if you're not, if you're inconsistent yourself, you know, your words sometimes don't really fall and have the effect if you yourself aren't getting the job done. So he goes, it's it's such a timing thing, Chris said, when to do that. And uh, sometimes uh, not saying anything and and letting them figure it out is better than not. It's almost like, a, like I think we've referenced this before, it's almost like a rally in volleyball. You know, when do you call a timeout to mm-hmm. stop someone else's rally or do you let your team fight through it to understand, okay, I have confidence in you, fight through this this stuff and, and come back. So I'm curious, too, what, you know, where Rocco is with that. You know, there's only – because once you – if you have a few of those, don't you think, Brad, it becomes – it fall it's white noise. Right. You know, how many closed – right? I mean, how many – you can have, like, five closed-door meetings and, and raise your voice, and but after a few of them, you know, now it has zero effect. You know, then what do you do? You know, so the, I think it's the timing of when you do that. Maybe now, the, maybe that was the right time, uh, uh, Wednesday. Well, and they have nine games left before the All Star break. Six against a, a very good Orioles team, and three with the Royals at home. You think they better? Uh, you better make some hay there. But yeah, going back to that point, it always reminds me of a coach. You've got a coach that maybe is. Uh, volatile and a yeller and a screamer and you know that maybe works once in a while and then after a while players just flip that switch off and just say oh i'm i i I don't need to hear this anymore i've heard this multiple times 
and it's not working. So I mean, it, I think yeah, it, it's and, and again, it's it, it's it's a message that we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, who knows what was said behind closed doors? But uh, now you got to see some results, and I don't think it's going to happen. You know, it's going to magically just flip a switch, and all of a sudden it gets done this weekend. Like I said, this. Nine, ten days here, nine games before the All-Star break might be, uh, I don't say make or break for the Twins, but if you, you want to see something different and something uh, something that uh, is a little more consistent, especially offensively. Yeah, maybe the All-Star break is just what the uh, the Twins did. I'll tell you another one. Here's a story that came to my mind. Fred Fridley, you know, Freddie, I love Freddie. He was uh, coaching at, at U. Mary, yep. University of Mary, years ago, and, and uh and I had I, six years I did you marry so men and women I'd travel with him. But Fred told me a story once uh, on this type topic. Like he was, you know, and he won a, you know, he took the team to an NAIA, you know, national, you know, tournament. But he said there was one time where the team in the first half was just playing horrendous. I mean, not even close to not following any of the game plan, not, you know, not doing anything right. It just they just had a ter- horrendous first half. And, and so on and so forth, and halftime comes. And that's, of course, when the coaches go in there, and you go in there, and you, you fix things that are wrong. You run to the board, and Fred said, he goes, halftime came, and I just kind of left out the gym there at you, Mary in the Hill, and walked outside. And I didn't even go in. The players, I guess, were sitting in the locker room waiting and waiting and waiting, and Fred's not coming in waiting. Fred, now pretty soon you get the ball girl, the ball boy or whatever comes and go, two minutes, people. And then, so he literally doesn't go in the entire halftime and uh, comes back in from outside and at the last second and boom. And the and that worked. The second <laughs> half, they just took off. <laughs> you go like, oh, he must be just furious with us right now. We better, you know, so like there's a case in point where, Literally just didn't even go near his team at during a halftime break. So, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, how, I guess like, maybe the moral is bad. You got to know your club, right? Whether it's major league or or uh, college or whatever. Yeah, I've seen uh, in in uh, my times. I've seen coaches do the passive aggressive thing where they, uh, yes. you know, they they kind of go that route where they. You can tell they're probably that they're inwardly fuming, but it doesn't come out that way. And it's a, I've. I've seen the passive aggressive thing, and I've seen it go both ways. I've seen it blow up in coaches' faces, and I've also seen in coach in players kind of kind of looking around with one eye one eye going one way, going, "Geez, I think uh, I, I think we got to figure something out here." Maybe uh, it had to be like Brian Doyle Murray and Caddyshack. I've seen a lot of poor caddying. You want to be replaced by golf carts? Keep it up. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that would be it right there. Do you really there, deserve so. that post-game pizza we're feeding you or not? So, uh, <laughs> uh, Hawks tonight, Brad. Um, yep. uh, C prime. Uh, and I might have a little trait. Uh, Carell's, uh, he's got his two boys, young boys. His one son, Corey, is just a, just a, just a chip off the old block, a polite young man. And for three days now, uh, Corey Prime, I suppose, what's Corey? Maybe six years old, maybe five, six. And he's Jack. What if I ever came up to the booth? So he's been asking for four days straight, yep. straight if he could come up to the booth. So Corell just gets a big smile. So last night in the clubhouse, uh, little Corey Brown said, like, don't tell my daddy, but do you, do you think tonight? And I told the clubhouse manager, I said, well, maybe tonight, Corey, maybe tonight. It'll be a surprise with your dad pitching. So he's all getting it. So I don't know. I don't, and I'm after sneaking past like nine ushers, you know, to right. get him upstairs. But, but maybe tonight we put young C prime. Uh, on there to his dad pitches uh, tonight, but uh, the bottom line is, boy, I'll tell you that wind blowing out to left. You've been here in mm-hmm. Cleveland, hundred yep. degree weather, and uh, everything was good for about an inning and a half last night. Manny Boscon homered, but then Cleburne uh, just barreled every pitch that came across home plate, and uh, and one thirteen to seven. the the good news is the Red Hawks have, have scored thirteen runs in the last two games, which you know with the injuries the Hawks have. That's the good news, that they can put runs on the board because they're a little thin offensively. The tough news is they've dropped the last two in doing so, so we'll have to see how that works. And for the Twins, I where are we at on the mound tonight, uh, Brad? Pablo Lopez gets the call tonight. Ah, yes. Against Baltimore. Boy, if you can get two, big order, but if you can get two against Baltimore, you, you walk out with, you know, 
uh, a road trip that you're only you almost go 500 at that would be something for Minnesota. So, yep, real and a real good Orioles club too. It's been a, a nice surprise, and they have kind of uh, built it uh, built it from uh, from within. But they're a couple of twins in that pitching staff, and one Yanir Cano who uh, really has come out of nowhere and has been one of the best relievers in Major League Baseball. Twelve forty three. We will uh, visit with Corey Provis next on the Jack Michaels Show on a Friday, just ahead of a holiday. Jack and Cleburne, Texas. Holding down the fort in studio, you can text STAR, S-T-A-R-R, STAR with two R's, and we've got uh, a STAR Fireworks gift card maybe some other goodies as well. We'll pick some winners on the other side of 1 o'clock via the text club. We'll be right back. 12.46 on the Jack Michael Show. It is time to talk Minnesota Twins baseball. Of course, our uh, conversation is brought to you by uh, Dean's Bulk Service and C-Store. In Barnesville, it's Friday. It's the radio voice of the Minnesota Twins. Corey Provis joining us after an off day. Twins and the Orioles get underway at tonight at Camden Yards. And, well, the uh, the three days earlier in the week at Atlanta with the Twins and the Braves, if it uh, showed us anything, Corey, there's a wide gap between those two uh, two teams right now. Yeah, same with, uh, with Tampa Bay. I think the, the two best teams in the sport, you know, Twins uh, played the Rays, they played the Braves, and then those two teams won all six games. And I think you bring up a good point that I think there is a pretty sizable gap uh, between those two teams and where the Twins are at. Um, you know, for the Twins, it's been about their pitching has been fantastic. And Joe Ryan got knocked around, uh, but yet they were still hanging around that game, uh, despite the fact that Joe gave up what five home runs in two innings. You would think that uh, you're out of it, but they were still around in that game, certainly on Tuesday, but it's about the offense, you know, Brad. That's that's really being honest here. 82 games in, and the offense just is underperformed. And I think you're a pretty uh, animated and frustrated manager after the game on Wednesday. Kind of talk about that. Uh, you know, did not name any individual names, but I think it's not hard to just put everything together and point to the fact that, you know, the big guys on this team have to have to produce. And what we saw in the Atlanta series, we saw the big boys come up with big, impactful swings. And for the Twins, we just have not seen that. You know, it starts with Correa and Buxton. They have to carry this thing. And both guys have just not performed at the level that they were hoping to perform at. But certainly that this team needs them to perform at. We haven't seen it now 80-plus games in. I'm sure Rocco very frustrated. They can make all the, the claims they want. I mean, is it just – is it do they look at personnel moves, coaching moves, or is it just the guys in front of them just have to perform better? Simple as that. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think everything – I don't think it's going to just – change overnight you know personnel coaching I think all that's fair to, to discuss and, and to debate but I, I wasn't expecting you know a flurry of roster moves today you know before the game tonight and so far that hasn't happened doesn't mean that a move or two won't happen before the game but it wasn't like all right the manager's mad players are having their meeting and now we expect you know five new guys on this team before game one tonight that that's not going to happen it's about the collection of players that they have um, and you can point to, it's fair to point to, as I said, that the, that the main two guys have just not done enough um, to, to, to you know, deliver for this team, but also team-wide, the strikeouts. You know, Brad, the strikeouts remain such a, such a killer for the team, and I get it, that you can also strike out and you can hit home runs, that's fine. But the fact is, since 2010, only two teams have made the playoffs when leading all of baseball in strikeouts and the last one happened in 2015. The 2012 A's, the 2015 Cubs, the last two teams who led all of baseball in strikeouts uh, to make the playoffs. It doesn't happen very often. So, uh, you know, the Central is only going to have one representative. Mm-hmm. There's no, that's not mathematically impossible. Let's be realistic here. Somebody has to win this division. And it, it may just take 80 wins, 82 wins in order to get it done. So somebody's got to get to the finish line of the Twins, despite all their struggles, certainly have that chance. What do you think it was that moment, that point after Wednesday, where Rocco felt like he needed to do what he did? There were maybe some other points earlier in the year where it maybe could have been done. Why do you think it was that moment? I just think seeing seeing them strike out on, on pitches that were nowhere near the zone, the amount of chasing, the amount of expanding, and taking fastballs, down the middle. I think Dan Hayes had a pretty good tweet. I'm not sure if you saw this. Dan covers the Twins for the mm-hmm. Athletic. He had a pretty good tweet about looking at, you know, what the what the Twins hitters were doing and what pitches they were chasing, which ones they were taking. I mean, they were chasing everything outside the zone, and they were taking everything in the zone. 
at, at such a high rate that you wonder, like, you know, we have these hitters meetings. We go over the game plan. And what are you guys even paying attention? Or is the game plan wrong? And that's the part of it, too, that, you know, that the hitters they have these meetings every single day. I, I don't know if the information is wrong, if it's not being delivered in the right way, if there's too much information, or if the players are just not following. I'm sure it's a little bit of everything. I, I don't think it's just one coach. I don't think it's one staff member. I don't think it's one player that is causing more issues than others. It is a, it is a group-wide problem, but I, I think the manager just reached his tipping point, just seeing the, the same at bat over and over and over again and going over 23 with runners in scoring position when you had some chances to win a few of these games. I mean, the Twins were in all three games. They just needed a, a good swing, an impactful swing once or twice to, to perhaps you know turn the game upside down. Pitching-wise, um, you know, Sonny Gray, I think, battled very well, got into the seventh inning Monday. Some encouraging signs. Two starts from Kent to Maeda, uh, got through five in Detroit, and uh, picked up uh, picked up a win. And against that lineup, which is, uh, you know, top to bottom, a pretty solid lineup, to hold them to two runs in five innings is pretty good showing. The starting pitching has, has been the strength of this team, and that hasn't changed. I mean, we're, we're 82 games in now, and that's why, you know, the Twins, We'll have an all-star. Every team has to have one. I, I think Joe Duran is going to be there, but you know Joe Ryan. I think even though he got hit hard on Tuesday, you make a pretty strong case for him. Um, Sonny's still, I think, in that conversation as well. But that'll be pretty much it. But I'm not surprised that the all-star will and should be a pitcher uh, because that's been the strength of this team, and it's been decades since we could truly say that that the Twins. Were a competitive team. They were a potential playoff team because of the way that their starting staff has performed. That has been the case uh, by far uh, throughout the season. Pablo Lopez had a good start last time out. I'll take six innings, three runs, ten strikeouts, every chance. But against this group, starting this weekend in Baltimore, too, you know, three runs may work against the Tigers. Three runs may work against the Royals or against the A's. When you're facing the Braves and now the Orioles. You know, about two or three runs isn't going to cut it. They're going to have to score because the team that they're they're playing tonight is going to put up probably about four, five, six runs a game. Let's get to the Orioles here in just a second. I guess one question, you know, you think about Sonny Gray is going to be a free agent here next year. Maeda is a free agent. Sonny will be, what, 34 on opening day next year. Kenta Maeda will be 35 or 36. Do, do the Twins make, you know, do they think about, well, is it more so maybe, I think they can afford the guys, it's more so, do we give these guys that are going to be in their mid-30s, maybe in the back end of their career, more than about a two or maybe a two-year deal, maybe an option for a third, something like that? Yeah, that, that's, I think, where they're going to go. I think there, there's more of a chance. I think there's probably more interest to keep Sonny as opposed to Kenta. Now, you know, Kenta could change that narrative with uh, with the, with the second half of the season here. Uh, he, can, he can certainly change some some minds and maybe make it more of a conversation. But, you know, Sonny, you're right. I mean, he's going to be 34. And I'm sure he's looking at it like I've got one more one more payday left mm-hmm. in my career and I want to make the most of it. So I, I would imagine that they've had some conversations, but to what extent, I'll never know. And obviously it's not enough to, to get anything done. So that's, uh, that's clear. But I think there certainly has been and remains mutual interest to, to, to extend and keep Sonny. But Sonny's going to you know, want certain things, both financially and contractually, and he's earned that right. Let's get to the Orioles now, and one of the uh, one of the real nice stories in the uh, American League East, a, a good young team. Uh, what are they doing? How are they doing it? Well, they followed the Astros' blueprint. I mean, they followed Houston's blueprint almost identically in that they said, all right, we had our window. We had some good years with Adam Jones and, and Chris Davis and, you know, Kevin Gosman and Dylan Bundy and all these guys, and we won some games, but now we have to reset. Our farm system is not very good. So they basically tanked for a while, and they didn't try to win. They didn't try to contend, and with that, they got high draft picks. Year after year, built the farm system back up, suffered through some horrible seasons, losing 90-plus games, 100-plus games year in and year out. But now they're reaping the benefits. Now they are enjoying, you know, what uh, all that losing, what it caused was that they drafted very well. And now they're starting to reap some of those benefits. So it was, an, it was a surprising team last year, competitive team that just missed the playoffs last year. But as of right now, they're their playoff team. They're in second place in the East, but they're 17 games over 500. They're the top-seeded wildcard team. And offensively, it's a lot of homegrown talent. Uh, young talent that they drafted and developed, and they drafted high because they were just season. So 
that's the blueprint they followed, and right now they're they're enjoying it because they have a young, exciting team that uh, that is putting up really good numbers offensively. Today, it's a really interesting story. Uh, Yanir Cano had a, a chance with the Twins; it didn't quite work out. He's landed in Baltimore, and he's been one of the best relievers in the game. Hey, he's going to be an All Star. I think. Uh, I think he'll probably be in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously the Twins, he was kind of, I thought, just kind of thrown in to the uh, Lopez deal. And when he pitched with Baltimore after the trade last year, he wasn't very good. And then something switched this year. Uh, Spring training, during the season, he's become just a dominant, dominant arm. Wes Johnson always liked him. Wes Johnson called him the Cuban missile. He thought there was something special about him uh, going back to last year. Uh, But the Orioles found something or were able to, to work with him on a certain pitch or pitches that, that seemed to be working great because he's been, he's been great. Yeah, the back end of their bullpen is no joke. When they have a late lead uh, with Cano and then uh, Felix Bautista, it's tough to come back and, and win against that pen and this team if you're down by a run or two. Twins come in and they'll be back at home. Uh, I guess what would you like to, like to see here in the final nine games before the All-Star break from this team, Corey? I, I just I want to see some better at-bats. I want to see the strikeouts come down i want to see just let's try something different let's they've been playing such a boring brand of baseball it's either home runs walks or strikeouts i want to see hit and runs i want to see them trying to steal some bases again i want to see them move because that's been a little bit repetitive it's been the same kind of team uh you know for a while here and if the home runs are flying like they were that that one day uh you know against the red sox with buxton's hitting two and correa's going deep great but that's not happening all that often. So I want to see just some more competitive baseball. I want to see some more action. I want to see the ball in play. I want to see them shorten up the two strikes. Still look for your pitch through damage on. I'm not saying that should go away, but I just want to see a different brand. And, um, you know, these guys are capable of doing that. I'm not saying they have to turn into Lisa Rise. That's not who they are. But I would like to see just some better approaches with two strikes, put the ball in play a bit more. And if the home run ball is there, great. If not, find a way to manufacture just some more runs, and uh, just play a play a more interesting brand of, of, of baseball that's more appealing and more competitive offensively from what we've seen here for, uh, for the last month or so. One final note, uh, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed the video. Uh, I guess one good thing about uh, your, uh, your, your road trip to Atlanta, you, you, not too often you get to uh, go zip line and do, uh, do some rock climbing at the ballpark. Yeah, it was neat. I was uh, it was cool that Audra asked me to uh, tag along, and so uh, yeah, it was fun. You know, I've zip lined before. Uh, it was neat doing it in Atlanta. I'm going to say this, Brad, that it's a little bit more exciting doing it in, in like Hawaii uh, <laughs> than it is at a ballpark uh, in Atlanta. But it was something to do, something different. Uh, break up the day a little bit, and uh, I've never done the rock climbing thing. My kids do it all the time, but I've never done that before, so that was fine. I had a good time doing that and uh, enjoyed it. But today yeah, it was fun. Just some, something else to do. Yep, yes, I've ziplined. I, I'm like you. I've never rock climbed as well. I've ziplined before out in western North Dakota. That was kind of fun. And, uh, uh, yeah, I just saw that. And uh, I guess it kind of breaks things up. It's just, just part of being a reporter, right? Yeah, it breaks it up a little bit. And uh, as, I, as I said, you know, when I was rock climbing, I'm like, this is really just my typical day. I mean, I, I, I'm rock climbing every day, thinking about launch angle and sweepers and exit velocity and <laughs> you know, bullpen depth. So I don't see the big deal. It's just, just a typical Tuesday for me. Ho-hum, no doubt about it. Corey, I appreciate it. Enjoy Camden Yards. We'll talk next week. All right, thanks.